Welcome to Well-Defined and Wonderful, the podcast about mathematical intricacies and beauty in mathematical analysis. Hello and welcome to a newest episode of Well-Defined and Wonderful. With me is Fabian from Hamburg and Markus from Freiberg. This episode is concerned again with complex numbers after we have addressed and solved the miracle of I last time. Um, we want to address complex numbers in a more thorough and uh, holistic way, if you will. So remind ourselves, please, Fabian, what are complex numbers? Yes, so complex numbers are a larger set of numbers that includes the real numbers. So we have all the real numbers that we know and uh, worked with in the previous episodes at hand, and we extended this set of numbers by introducing let's say a, a further variable or we call it the imaginary unit i so now we are not talking about real numbers but we could also say pairs of real numbers and to to make it more um, audible for you let's say we have a z a complex number that is x plus i times y and x and y are real numbers and they are added and one of those real numbers is multiplied with our imaginary unit. Sometimes we can also, or you will hear the, the terms real and imaginary part of a complex number. And coming back to our example, Z has a real part that is just X. So the real number that is not multiplied with I and Y is the imaginary part because it's the it's the real number that got multiplied with i. So there was one particular thing about uh, complex numbers um, because they are not only a set of numbers, they are also a field. So we can add the numbers and we also wanted to multiply them. So this was the, I think one of the crucial points in the episode of the introduction of i, how, how multiplication works here. Um, so wh what was this about or how does the multiplication of complex numbers work? Yes, so we introduced those complex numbers with um, a picture in mind of carrying out some geometric operations on the plane R2. And in this picture, I was, was rotation by 90 degrees. And then it also makes sense that I times Y is the vertical line of our R2 image of the complex numbers. And whenever we carry out I twice, so we look at I squared, we rotate by 90 degrees twice, which means we rotate by 180 degrees once, meaning we uh, use a point reflection through the origin. And this is uh, basically everything we need to we need to know. When we multiply two complex numbers, we just multiply uh, real and imaginary parts, uh, vice versa, as if they were just sums of real numbers. And whenever we hit an I, we leave it there. And if an I hits another I, we replace this one by minus one. And so we have multiplication of complex numbers explained. Okay, so. But we want to do something with that, uh, not only solving the equation x squared equals minus one, 
we really want to do analysis with it. And the one of the most prominent functions we have introduced for real numbers is the exponential function. And so what we now want to do is we really want to explain the exponential function for complex arguments. So for if we took a Z decomposed of X plus I, Y, and we want to throw this into the exponential function. So what comes to mind would be a reasonable choice of the definition for this operation. Yes, so I agree that the exponential function is a very important function in analysis. It was defined as a series of, of real numbers. And so as I explained in the beginning, the complex numbers are, an, so to say, an extension of the reals. So we find a real number also inside the complex ones. If we now extend the, the exponential function, or if we, we have an exponential function that works very well for the reals and we extend it to the complex numbers, we still want it to work the same as before if we choose out of the complex numbers one that is really just a real number with no imaginary part. So I would say a good starting point would be to just use the exact definition of the series that we have. So a series starting from zero going to infinity of uh, x to the power of k divided by uh, the factorial of k. But now we change our variable x that was just real to z, which is a complex number. And then we check uh, if, if this definition is indeed well-defined. Do you agree with this approach? I'm all in. The only issue here is if we just formally replace X by a complex variable. I mean, I don't have any problem with raising Z, which is X plus I, Y to any power, any integer power is fine. Um, and so all the summons are good in this series, but there is an infinity sign on top of the series. So we sum up infinitely many complex numbers. So we actually need to talk about convergence of complex numbers. So what would be a very reasonable and natural way to understand the convergence of complex numbers here? Yeah, that's a fair point. So um, let, us, let us maybe imagine the complex plane. Yeah, so the points or the pairs of real numbers that we have, our complex numbers, can just be visualized as points in a plane that we call the complex plane, but you can also see it as an R2. Yeah, so vectors of two numbers. The first number gives us the real part. The second number gives us the imaginary part. So now what would be a convergence of just a sequence of of complex numbers, right? So I'm, what I'm doing here is I'm decomposing this very large expression that we have for the series of complex numbers and boiling it down to what is really happening here. So the first thing we need to talk about is convergence of complex numbers. And visualizing this in the plane would mean where well, we have a sequence of points in the complex plane that converges to another point and it comes closer and closer to another point. And an immediate idea that I have from the, from the setting of R2 would be, well, to just look at the two components separately and um, state the following notion of convergence. 
a sequence of complex numbers converges to another complex number if the real uh, values of the sequence or the sequence of real values converges to the real value of the, the point and if also the same holds for the imaginary part. So if the imaginary parts of the sequence also converge to the imaginary part of our limit point. That is some, some reasonable thing to do, I think. Uh, and it really reflects identifying or it reflects the, uh, the knowledge we already have of R2 that convergence there basically is equivalent to convergence of the first component and the second component, the first component being the real part, the second being the imaginary part. Now, if I wanted to do that for the exponential function though, and I try to figure out whether the real part or the imaginary part of this exponential function was well-defined as a series itself, I just formally apply real parts to the exponent, to, to our definition of the exponential function. And what I get in the summons is the real part of Z to some power K. And similarly for the imaginary part. But now I don't really know how this actually behaves. And what I would love to do is I would, would really love to apply results we already know from um, the, the, the exponential function for only real values in, this, in, in their argument. But it doesn't really look like an exponential function for only real values because the real part of z to the power of k is not the same as the real part of z raised to the power of k. So we really have an issue here that we cannot really say we just use components. So what would be a good way out of this misery? Yes, yeah, so I think you outlined pretty, uh, pretty nicely that we need a holistic approach to dealing with z to the power of k. Just throwing on the real and imaginary part does not work because these component-wise, so to say, projections are just not compatible enough with this taking powers. So we, I think we need to think about this differently. So stay, we stay in the R2 picture of points and now we try to make the complex, the field of complex numbers, uh, a metric space by introducing a notion of distance here. And once again, I do not want to take it too far from what I know. Why not take the, well, the distance that we are most famili familiar of in the R2, which is the Euclidean distance. Can we make sense of this? So we have points of numbers in R2 and the Euclidean distance would be just take the first component squared, add the second component squared, and then take the square root of it. This also works for a complex number, right? We just take the real value squared, add to it the imaginary value squared, and then take the square root of it. This could be a definition of an absolute value, so to say, and gives us also the distance to, to the origin. Yes, this is a very clever choice because, and now we make a bit of a, a jump in time because we would now sit down and scribble around with uh, paper and uh, pencil and we would try to understand whether um, the, this, this, this absolute value that you just designed is somewhat more uh, com uh, compatible with 
the raising of powers. And in fact, it, uh, it turns out that these things are actually commutative. So <coughs> these things are actually commutative. So z to the power of k and the absolute value of this is the same as the absolute value of z raised to the power of k. So we can really interchange raising powers and computing absolute values, which is fantastic because, because with this, we can analyze the convergence of the exponential function just by looking um, at the absolute value instead of real and imaginary part. Because we already know that in R2, the Euclidean distance happens to give us an equivalence of convergence of first and second component as uh, equivalent to the, B, the convergence of the whole vectors. And so it will definitely translate to the complex numbers here. And if we want to analyze the uh, convergence of the exponential function now, I think it makes sense to look at the tails of the series. And how would we go uh, from there? Yes. Yeah, so one thing that that we that we that we aim for is always let's let's find a connection to what we already know. How does the exponential function work with real numbers. So if we would look at uh, the tails of this complex series here, um, we would talk about uh, taking abs the absolute value of this tail, right? And we want this tail, the absolute value of this tail to go to zero to have convergence of the series. And what we can now do is, um, so now this is just me speaking, it's not formally, but let's just take a triangle inequality. Yeah. So let's make the absolute value of the sum, the sum of absolute values here. All right, what is next? Now we have um, absolute values of powers of complex numbers. And as you said, the absolute value is compatible with taking uh, products. So we can also uh, commute the absolute value and the, the power. So let's say we have absolute value of Z to the K we can make this just the kth power of the absolute value of z. And there we are. We have now made the absolute value of a complex series, or the tail of a complex series, a tail of, I would say, a, um, a series of real numbers. And we, we know this tail already. It's just the tail that we would get if we would look at the exponential of the absolute value of z and the absolute value of z is a is a real number right exactly and this tail needs to be converging to zero if we let the the tail become shorter and shorter or shifted more and more to infinity and this actually is the proof of that the exponential complex exponential function is well defined so now having this well defined we would try to find properties that we know of the real exponential function also being somewhat mirrored in the complex exponential function. And the first thing what comes to mind is the functional equation. Does this still hold? Yes. So good news here. The functional equation still holds. And I think it's a very nice exercise to just go through the proof of uh, this. So we will need once again, a Cauchy product. We will need the uh, binomial theorem, but the proof basically works the same as in the in the real setting i would say
Oh, very nice. So we have the functional equation being restored. Can we now deduce from the functional equation a similar, prop, uh, a similar property as we did in the reals, namely that the exponential function is never zero? Yes, also good news here. This also works thinking about the functional equation. Think of the exponential of z. So this tells us every exponential of z is invertible because we just use the exponential of minus z and then adding both together or multiplying them gives me an addition of the arguments and the exponential of zero is one. So um, it is impossible for uh, the complex exponential function as well to um, to, uh, to be zero at, uh, at any point, which is, I think, a great, uh, yeah, a great property as well that is preserved with, uh, with this extension. And also, I vaguely remember one of the most striking um, notions in mathematical analysis, that is continuity. We endowed now the complex numbers with a metric induced by the Euclidean distance of an imaginary part. And now we know that the, the complex exponential function maps complex numbers to complex numbers. So can we also restore continuity here? Yes. So continuity and also here, um, I would say just uh, think about the proof or revisit the proof for the real setting. The, we have now a nice metric that dictates already from where to where this this complex function is is mapping. and. Yeah, so the complex exponential is also a continuous function, considered as a function from the complex numbers to the complex numbers. That's fantastic. So um, now having restored many properties of the real exponential function, we maybe look again at the exponential function itself. And now that we know that we have a functional equation, we can raise e to the power of z with z being x plus i y. And what can we learn from this expression then? Yes, so let me just naively, I see a plus sign between two numbers in the argument of the exponential function. I want to apply the functional equation. So the exponential of x plus iy gets the product of the exponential of x times the exponential of iy. And what do I see here? Well, the exponential of a complex number is just the is just the exponential of a real number, so x uh, the exponential of x, which we already know, times the exponential of a a purely imaginary number. It's the exponential of i times y. So one of the factors of this product is well known. The exponential of x is just uh, the exponential function that we talked about in previous episodes. But now comes the interesting addition that we created by extending the exponential function to the complex numbers is this expression exp of i times y. So the exponential of the imaginary unit times a real number. And I have the feeling uh, we do not know much about this and there is also nothing that we can recycle from our knowledge, right? So we haven't uh, seen an expression like this before and it would make sense to, uh, to look into that more closely. It does make sense to, to look into this, and I'm very excited to do it, actually, but not for now. So we now cliffhanger this to the next episode. And for now, I thank you very much, Fabian, for being here, and goodbye. Goodbye. So what did we learn today? 
Today, we defined a complex exponential function by just mimicking what we did for the real case. Also, we identified some properties the complex exponential function shares with the real exponential function, such as the functional equation or never being zero.